0: From coast to coast to coast you are listening to Terra Informa You are listening You
1: are listening, you're listening, you're listening to Terra
2: Do you like science fiction what about speculative fiction Have you ever heard of cli-fi In this episode, we'll be digging into the genres of literature that weave together stories about future worlds, ones that sometimes don't stray too far from the realm of possibility. You'll also hear from our special guest, former Edmonton Historian Laureate, science communication instructor at the University of Alberta, and local podcast legend Chris chang Phillips. I'm Hannah Cunningham.
0: And I'm Elizabeth Dowdell. We'll be your hosts, for the next half hour of environmental news, stories, and ideas.
2: Before we start our episode, we would like to acknowledge that we are situated on Treaty 6, the historic and present territory of Cree, Métis, Blackfoot, Dene, and many other First Peoples that live and gather here. This week's episode is all about books, the things we turn to when we want to escape to new worlds, learn more about our own, or explore other perspectives and ideas. Engaging with Indigenous voices through books is one way that you can listen to and learn from the experiences of these first peoples. Whether it's learning about the deeper history of the spaces that you interact with, learning about the colonial history and present of Canada, or diving into a great piece of fiction, we encourage you to pick up a book. A few Indigenous authors to check out from Alberta, where the Terra Informa team is based, include Cree poet and author Billy Ray Belcourt, Métis writer Chelsea Vowell, and Cree writer for children and adults Larry Loy. If you're looking for a new read, we'd encourage you to check out your local bookstore and find some Indigenous authors from your area. I would also like to include that Chelsea Vowell hosts a great podcast called Métis in Space, an Indigenous feminist sci-fi podcast that you should definitely check out if you enjoy our episode this week.
0: Back in December, we came across headlines about the new water futures market in California and how water can now be traded as a commodity on Wall Street. We couldn't help but think, oh my gosh, this sounds like the beginning of that book I read. For us, the water futures headlines were an example of life imitating art and got us thinking about all the books we've read where climate change, the future of our planet, and the living beings on it are the central plot.
2: It's probably not a surprise to our listeners that the Terra Informa team are into a genre of books called climate fiction, or cli-fi. The phrase was coined in 2008 by journalist Dan Bloom, and includes works of fiction that feature the impacts of climate change as a central driver of the story.
0: Many of these books also lean into the category of speculative fiction, a genre that deals with story elements not present in our present reality. Authors often dive into the futuristic and sometimes the supernatural, which is a great direction to head in if you're imagining futures affected by climate change.
2: Speaking of speculative fiction, did you know Jamaican and Canadian author Nalo Hopkinson was recognized just last month as the 37th Damon Knight Grand Master by the Science Fiction Writers of America, or SFWA? Known for her novels and short stories of speculative fiction that engage with Caribbean history and language, Hopkinson is also a contributor to the Sandman graphic novel series, first introduced by celebrated sci-fi and fantasy author Neil Gaiman.
0: While cli-fi is a newer genre, science fiction has been used to imagine, make sense of, and visualize alternative realities for centuries. Mary Shelley's Frankenstein is argued to be the first work of science fiction written in 1818, but some challenge that the genre dates back to the 1600s.
2: Tackling real world issues, like climate change, is a staple for the genre, and science fiction has regularly been used to explore and reimagine oppressive social realities.
0: More recently, Afrofuturism and indigenous resurgence are two genres that have been growing in popularity and entering the mainstream. These genres often challenge the dominance of white supremacy as they explore present and possible futures, centering African, black and indigenous voices. Telling stories from the perspective of these characters can reframe how we view society and our own experiences and help us collectively imagine and work toward better alternatives, a skill we all need to sharpen to cope with climate change and our climate future.
2: While the subtleties and nuance between genres like science fiction, climate fiction, Afrofuturism, indigenous resurgence, and speculative fiction mix and blur, our point is that stories are powerful. They can explore, inspire, help us heal, make sense of, and visualize a better reality.
0: GRIST, a nonprofit environmental news outlet, has been asking how we get to a better climate future through its solutions lab called The Fix. Recently, The Fix launched a climate fiction competition open to anyone and challenging us to imagine what the next 180 years of our climate journey look like called Imagine 2200 Climate Fiction for Future Ancestors. The competition is accepting submissions until April 12th. We'll update you when the winners are picked, but with a cool $3,000 cash prize, maybe you wanna try your hand at imagining what a climate future focused on justice and intersectionality looks like.
2: To get those creative juices flowing, or just inspire you with hopeful stories about possible shared futures, let's get into some of the climate fiction that has us rapidly turning the physical and digital pages. And don't worry, we'll include a list of the books we've referenced in our show notes in case you want to pick one out for yourself. My name is Hannah Cunningham and yeah uh, when we were getting ready for this episode I was thinking a little bit about climate fiction and I really enjoy it and I really like you know science fiction and sort of those more escapist genres and when I was thinking about it I was like oh why why do I read climate fiction because I get so bogged down by just like thinking about climate change all the time. And it's like, yes, I'm gonna do this in my free time as well. <laughs> and in the couple of books that I was sort of reflecting on getting ready for this, one of them is The Children of Time by Adrian Tchaikovsky. And the other one is Clayed by James Bradley. I think that the, one of them is a little more escapist, one's a little more personal. I thought that having the continuity of climate change in some of the books was gonna to be too like scary or sad for me, but it's kind of weirdly comforting in a way, just having all these different stories sort of relating around climate change and things go different ways and different stories obviously, but life goes on. Um, so yeah, I think that's sort of why I keep going back to climate fiction.
0: So I'm Elizabeth, your parent, reporter, trivia host with The Most. I was reflecting on what books I'd read and sort of building a list of my my library of climate fiction and realizing I've actually read it before. I've always been sort of a sci-fi and fantasy fan and read a lot of that when I was younger. But most recently, there are a couple that stood out for me. I just finished Kim Stanley Robinson's New York 2140. And just the tone and the the type of storytelling was like I couldn't put it down. I really enjoyed this book. And before that, I had read was all sort of started recently a few months ago. I've been reading a lot lately. Uh, Started a few months ago with um, Paulo Bacigalupi's The Water Knife, which I was only reading because because his first book, The Wind Up Girl, was. I couldn't get it immediately checked out as an ebook, so I started with his second novel. Reading those two, those are two sort of cli-fi, climate fiction stories, and I was like, oh, I want to read more of these because I found them both comforting in a lot of ways and just exciting to imagine some of these alternate or alternative possibilities or realities and hear stories about what people were thinking would come next and what the future would be like. So um, I've been reading a lot since, and yeah, preparing this list, I started reflecting on like, like going back to like the 2000s and like Margaret Atwood and like the Mad Adam trilogy and how I had I think everyone had read has read Oryx and Crake um, you know if they are like a certain age and had like been reading English language books in their 2000s maybe um, you'll have heard of that one at some point and yeah I was thinking about that whole series and how I was like oh this is actually like a huge kind of contribution to this speculative fiction and especially sort of this climate fiction genre. And there are so many ways to sort of think about this potential future. And I'd gotten really cynical at one point in my like degree about climate change, society and the future. And this has sort of, I think helped me cope with that in some ways and feel like optimistic again about um, our current society and our future kind of society and reality.
1: I'm Chris and phillips Terra Informa alum, um, podcasting coordinator now at the station. And um, uh, Liz, I had no idea we had so much overlap in the books that we've read because Octavia Butler, I feel like is my, maybe my only touchstone for what I think of as climate fiction before this book I just finished, Ministry for the Future by Kim Stanley Robinson. And I guess I've I i I've read the first two books in the Orcs and Craig trilogy, um, by Margaret Atwood. Um, we actually did Year of the Flood on Terra Informa for a, a book club uh, in, in my day. I didn't. I don't really think of them as climate fiction, funny enough. I think of them more as like kind of genetic engineering fiction, um, mm-hmm. I think kind of other genre. Um, and I think the reason why I don't read a lot of climate fiction um, ties back, funny enough, uh, to a moment, Hannah, where I feel like I was quite rude to you a couple of years ago.
0: I don't remember. Oh, <laughs> Tell me.
1: Well, you, oh, were, you and really Carter were telling me about a, a show idea you had to do like a show about like ecological grief and sort of like mourning uh, that, that loss of ecosystems and, and a lot of music and stuff. And I, like, I couldn't even hold back from my instinctual reaction of like, Oh, that sounds awful. Sorry that I couldn't, sort of restrain that in that moment. Um, There's maybe a more constructive way to say that, which is like probably a more articulate way to say that would be like, I can't like emotionally live in that moment of grief for too long. And I'm usually drawn to a lot of sci-fi books when I wanna read something fiction, but usually it's like much farther out sci-fi that doesn't feel like I have a personal stake in the outcome. Like I really like Kim Stanley Robinson's um, Red Mars, green mars blue mars series about the colonization of mars they're fascinating and filled with like possibility for me of how societies can develop but like you know the emotional stakes are not that high for me if like the space elevator on mars comes down um and i think climate fiction it feels like usually too close to home i think for me to feel okay um getting through a book like that um i think the ingredients that worked for me with this book ministry of the future that i I I actually loved and want to become like a proselytizer for because this book is so amazing. The ingredients that worked for me were like, one, I knew how it ended. Okay, spoiler alert for Ministry of the Future. This is the whole reason I read this book is that like I I heard an interview uh, with the author on the Ezra Klein Show. And the premise of the interview was like, this is a book about how we win, about how we win the fight against climate change. And I was like, oh yeah, I need that book in my life. Um, For a similar reason of like wanting to be filled with hope
0: Something I enjoy about science fiction and fantasy that climate fiction kind of keeps up with is familiar but radical new worlds, right? Like, so good fiction is supposed to create a a brand new world that you believe in, is sort of a a description I read preparing for this episode. Um, And that's the mark of successful fiction. And so I really like that element, I think, of climate fiction and the way it just reimagines things, because sort of in my research space and my workspace, professional space, like I'm constantly kind of asking those questions from a very like real world perspective. Like how do we make decisions? How do we manage our commons? How do we manage our environmental resources? How do we make decisions as a whole big complicated society? And so there's like a totally new different alternatives there. So it's really exciting to, to see those. And it's told from someone else's perspective. So I think there's not in every climate fiction I've read, but, like almost everyone there's generally like a multitude of voices or like multiple perspectives so they're not just sort of single author stories sometimes they are but it kind of feels like a conversation I guess getting to talk to someone else like I don't have a climate grief support network or group and it's not a topic that comes up too often with friends or family or cohorts surprisingly enough being a part of Terra Informa Um, I think because we're all living in it we don't talk about it as much and so this is a really nice way to engage with some thoughts or fears or enthusiasm that i might have so yeah i really love that i guess suppose the fantasy or the the fiction part of it that i really get in these yeah these really like potentially radical alternate realities to think like wow something completely different is possible and especially when it's got a very either tenuous or well kind of constructed link to reality to our current present reality so that's something I really loved in these Kim Stanley Robinson book was that okay here's a here's a future that's not that far away about 200 years the worst of climate change impacts have happened right like the catastrophes the disasters have befallen but in New York 2140 there's the city of New York is you know basically just pumping along still half flooded but uh business as usual in a lot of ways spoiler alert there's a kind of a push for collectivization of sort of the financial and real estate industries. And it just seems so reflective of like they were talking about general strikes and so reflective of sort of what's happening in the labor tenant movement right now and the justice movement with, you know, evictions and everything happening with COVID. So, yeah, it was this really like, oh, here's a here's a very similar situation and one way to respond to it. I get excited by these near future realities, these new future alternatives, I guess. But they're a pathway. I guess that's what I like. Is there a little bit, these could be guide maps.
1: When you say guide map, do you, do you mean like guide maps for just like how to live with the effects of climate change that may or are coming for us or how to like steer off a carbon intensive path and, and like maybe fix these problems?
0: Mm-hmm. Most of the stories I've read, we don't really get off that path. They're not that alternate a reality. And I would say that I think that's pretty realistic, that we're not necessarily going to get off, you know, we're not stopping climate change, but um, most have had some sort of major societal shifts or major ecological shifts because of climate change happening. And here's how a society functions. Here's how society survives. Here's how we as uh, as human beings, you know, kind of continue to thrive or not. And the best sort of ones that I've read tie that in really beautifully with here's how other like parts of our world are surviving. here's how ecological relations have changed, right? Like here's how people in the environment have changed together and so how people are taking advantage of new opportunities or new technology um, or shifting practices. Uh, so they are more guidebooks to how we live post change or how we live through change I suppose
1: funny like it it seems to scratch a different itch perhaps for you than than for me
0: yeah they're not escapist like I'm definitely not reading these where I'm like oh this is like fun escapist fiction which I would normally go to fiction for and so I'm reading like a historical romance right now to just like get a little break (laughs) which I would not normally be into but I was like I need something completely different after four books in this genre three or four books but yeah I read them for more of a like okay alternative like futures like kind of future scenario um, theorizing I guess if you're just tuning in you are listening to Terra Informa a production of CJSR 88.5 FM created in so-called Edmonton Alberta in this episode, we're discussing some of the Terra Informer's picks for fictional books that focus on climate change and imaginative futures for humanity. Bring on the cli-fi.
1: Have either of you experienced this phenomenon over the past year of of like rewatching and rereading a lot of things for comfort? I've watched like a lot of Star Trek Voyager, a lot of The Good Place. Um, I reread the night watch um by terry pratchett one of the Discworld books kind of because i i i wanted the experience of going through it but i did i i wanted to know how i would feel at the end because everything else i think in life feels so uncertain right now i think that's like that's kind of what i want out of fiction that, that does feel close to home right now is like just like tell me how it ends and then and then at least like I'm prepared for what experience I'm going to have, which is a feeling I've never had with books before, like the past year.
2: Yeah, I can relate to that. Um, I feel like for a lot of things, anything that makes me uncomfortable, I sort of have that way of thinking. I'm always like, if I've I've heard about it, if I've sort of like experienced it in my head, then it'll be fine if it happens to me in real life. For some reason, I'm prepared now just because... I think it's the not wanting to be
0: surprised. You know, when the pandemic hit or sort of was first, that first wave was cresting, how, you know, Contagion was this incredibly popular film that I did not rewatch, but I was like, oh yeah, that's a possibility. That's a good like guide to what could be happening. And in some places is happening. If you want to have a story of what's happening, right? And not that stories are necessarily false or fake or fiction but they're stories and they you know help us make sense of things so yeah I think stories are really helping with that right now just sense making of what's going on in the world
1: what you're saying about sense making is, is interesting thinking about that feeling in March last year of, of everybody looking to contagion and other fiction and also like like Look, looking to what did people do when the flu hit in 1918 and people started dying all over the world because I, you're talking about this in the context of climate fiction is really interesting because I think like what we all experienced last March was that we had very few frames for thinking about the time that we're in and the experiences that we're in and we kind of needed to do like almost like narrative backfilling of like what the hell is happening in our lives right now like how should we think about this how did other people live through this I read this book um how to cook a wolf by mfk fisher that was reviewed on vox and um it's kind of like part memoir part cookbook of how during world war ii she kind of tried to like balance the need to ration with the need to like just like have a pleasurable life and and i've been cooking some of the recipes just to like feel some sense of like connection to someone else who went through an intensely stressful time where they were like you know like we were in march like wearing like Uh, how do I get groceries again? (laughs) I I feel like maybe this is part of what climate fiction can do for us is do some of that narrative backfilling of like what the hell kind of time are we living in right now and how should we think about the times ahead?
2: I was reading a little bit about climate fiction as a genre and sort of how do you write about something as big and sort of uncertain as climate change especially in a future sense and make it like digestible and relatable to people. So yeah, I think it's really interesting because obviously there's tons of different, you know, styles and subgenres and it's pretty amazing when I think about it doing some of that backfilling and storytelling of something so big and so all encompassing, I guess, while pulling together, you know, some of those more human elements
1: connecting humans to the bigger picture of ecology. I think you'll really like in Ministry of the Future if you if you dig some of those approaches, because a lot of it is told from eyewitness accounts sort of of people who've lived through interesting events. Um, it, it's told it like as if you're like kind of watching a documentary in some parts, but some of the eyewitness accounts are from the perspective of the sun or a carbon atom.
2: I love it. <laughs> <laughs> oh. One of the other books I read Children of Time by Adrian Tchaikovsky. So one chapter, you're, okay, you're you're from the human's perspectives, these survivors living in a ship coming from a dying earth. And suddenly in the second chapter, you're reading from the perspective of a jumping spider that is like the being that ends up, spoiler alert, being the like main inhabitant of this terraformed planet that like humans (laughs) had tried to we were supposed to be able to go there. But a bunch of crazy things happened. And then there's this spider named Portia. um, And then there's another one named Bianca, who they are rapidly evolving because of this nanovirus that humans created and tried to put in monkeys, but monkeys didn't make it. Spiders did. So this whole book kind of goes back and forth from like the human perspective. And then the spiders in space and the differences in those. (laughs) perspectives it was really cool I'd I'd never read a book like that so I'd be really interested in reading some perspectives from the sun I think that would be great
0: (laughs) (laughs) it's so cool and I think speaks to one of the I don't one of the themes that I find really present in climate fiction not necessarily everything I've read or the genre as a whole but that interconnectivity and sometimes to like to a radical level right? Where, uh, you know, the story of a carbon, uh, carbon atom, but just this really interesting interconnectedness and intersections that are like, not what you'd expect, or that dig into things that, you know, perspectives that might be taken for granted, human or non-human. Something I'm curious about in the climate fiction you have read, what are the geopolitics a little bit? Is western civilization still kind of in this position of dominance or are things a little bit shifted
1: okay so parable of the talents is the one that i've read from octavia butler i just like that was the one that was available at Book in and uh, the geopolitics in that book it's it's like just like warlords and slavery in a post apocalyptic america on the route to, spoiler alert, like humanity ascending to the stars and this like earth seed religion spreading and and humanity like fulfilling its destiny to become an ecological good bringing life to the rest of the universe. And I feel like that book kind of helped me think, like have a framework for thinking about the Trump era of like, oh, okay, like maybe this is like the last gasp of like neoliberalism, capitalism, white supremacy, Um, in the West, like when you have a plant in your garden that's not getting enough water, sometimes it'll send out a stress flower, um, not as a sign of health, but as a sign of sickness, like, oh, I better flower now, this is my last chance. I kind of, that book made me feel like that's maybe, hopefully, what the Trump era is, has represented. It's like a last gasp stress flower before the, before we move on.
0: Similar parable of the sower to me is sort of this really cool afro-futurist sort of storytelling but not even explicitly or necessarily only that but this whole like the stars and the the characters being like the lead character being a like a young black woman just kind of starting her sort of coming of age tale in a very traumatic way um was an interesting to end up you know being the leader of a new society religion cult um there's a number of different terms you could you could use for it but yeah, so just sort of who tells those stories, I think, is a really interesting sort of lens of, of who gets to imagine our future in a reality. And there's a lot of like, I don't know, it's sort of a subversive um genre in of it, in and of itself that way, kind of, which is cool. Things
2: aren't linear. There's a lot of bad things, but there's a lot of like good things that could happen too.
1: Hell yeah.
0: hmm Thank you so much for chatting with us, Chris. Yeah. We're just
1: there. Uh Thanks for letting me join in. I was so jazzed to hear you were talking about this topic.
2: That's all the time we have for this week. If you want to pick up one of the books we discussed today, you can find a list in the show notes on our website. We've been your hosts, Hannah Cunningham.
0: And Elizabeth Dowdell. Thanks for listening.
2: Terra Informa is a production of CJSR 88.5 FM, and all of our content is created by a team of volunteers. Interested in joining the team? Check out our website, terrainforma.ca, and fill out our volunteer application form. We would love to hear from you.
0: You can reach us for comments or questions by sending an email to terra at cjsr.com, or message us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Terra Informa. For previous episodes, check out our website, terrainforma.ca. Catch you next
2: week, right here on Terra Informa.